Well, hello um, and uh, good afternoon or uh, sort of good evening wherever you are. Uh, welcome to this online meeting on the, the role of the continental free trade area in um, Africa's um, economic transformation. Um, we um, uh, have this as an online meeting and um, we ori originally scheduled it to be a hybrid event um, and uh, filming it from uh, Geneva. But of course, uh, we are all understanding uh, of the fact that the um, WTO's Ministerial Conference 12 had to be uh, postponed um, until uh, until later. Uh, and so we are very pleased that we can still uh, revert to this, um, uh, this online meeting and uh, to discuss a very important topic um, about trade integration. Now, of course, we know uh, trade integration is, uh, is is really important, but there are also lots of challenges. Uh, challenges to do with COVID. There are um, sort of sometimes trade wars between major economic powers. Um, but we also know that, that there is quite a lot of um, uh, political momentum behind the continental free, free trade area in uh, in Africa, and we want to understand that a bit more. We want to explore this. Um, we are interested in sort of how the continental free, free trade area um, uh, in the continent can help uh, to achieve its objectives, its transformation objectives, its inclusion objectives and, and other objectives. Um, and also um, how um, uh, this, this, this perhaps can be um, implemented and perhaps to also explore what are the, the challenges that countries um, and the continent as a whole uh, are facing when implementing a, um, an agreement uh, like this? Now, at ODI, we've been interested in trade integration for a long period of time. We've also been interested in African integration uh, for quite some time from the regional um, economic communities perspective uh, for some time. But more recently, we've also um, uh, started enhancing our work on the continent of free trade area, both in terms of supporting the negotiations, um, but also uh, the implementation. And so we're very pleased that we can now have this uh, uh, this meeting on the continent of free trade area um, uh, and uh, with a stellar panel. And uh, uh, let me sort of briefly introduce um, uh, the panel uh, before I turn to them um, uh, in a minute. So uh, we uh, will um, have uh, a discussion with, uh, first of all, the, the trade minister, trade industry minister from uh, Rwanda, Beata Javier-Rimana. Uh, so we're very pleased um, to, that you're still able to join us uh, online. Um, and um, and then, um, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, Herbert Krapa wasn't able to, uh, to join us um, uh, online. Um, uh, he assured us he will be joining us uh, the, for the next event. Um, but uh, we're very pleased that we have um, um, uh, uh, three other uh, experts uh, and officials uh, joining us. Um, so we have um, uh, Dr. Emily Mubur-Nadoria. Um, she is a very senior official from uh, the African continent of free trade area. She's the director uh, for trade in services, investment, intellectual property rights and digital trade. Uh, so quite a, uh, uh, some responsibilities at the secretariat. Um, and she will be talking uh, to us, um, uh, particularly in the second part. 
And then um, we also have um, uh, two, uh, two organizations that are um, uh, uh, actually supporters of the, the integration process, um, uh, both at the regional level and at the, um, uh, at the continental level. So we have, uh, uh, first of all, Frank Mazart, who is, I'm sad to say, the, the, the outgoing uh, chief executive officer of what is a stellar um, uh, uh, aid for trade uh, program um, um, uh, that he's led over the last uh, 10 years, Trademark East Africa, uh, which was a 60 million project uh, to start off with, and now a 1 billion a program with, uh, with some stellar um, uh, achievements uh, around reducing trade costs and helping to integrate countries. Um, and also we will be joined by uh, Trudy Hotzenberg, who is the executive director uh, at the Trade Law Center uh, based in South Africa. Um, and uh, I'm sure everyone who is interested in uh, African integration in the sort of the details about the negotiations, about the, the laws, the, uh, the, the legal implications uh, will have heard about Trulloch. Um, and they have a fantastic resource on their website. Uh, and so we're very interested to hear also from uh, from Trudy on sort of the vision behind the content of free trade area, uh, as well as the, uh, the implementation uh, challenges. So that's basically my introduction for the event. Um, and I'd now like to turn to the first part, uh, the first segment of the panel um, of, of, of the session. We'll have two sessions and then the questions and answers from, with the audience. Um, the first session will be more about the vision uh, behind the content of free trade area uh, and how a country, the, the region is expected to benefit, what type of integration is really important. Um, and then uh, the second part is more focusing on implementation challenges uh, and support is, um, that is needed. So let me first uh, uh, ask um, the Honorable Minister, uh, Trade Minister from Rwanda, uh, Be Beata Javier-Amina, um, to sort of express how uh, you would think that Rwanda is, um, is expected to benefit from the content of free trade area. What are the sorts of uh, type of integrations um, you are looking for? Uh, where's the big price for you? Over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Dick. And uh, thank you. My greetings to all the panelists and also the audience. Uh, it's good that you have had this opportunity to go online uh, while we were to go uh, physically with the meeting. But I think coming directly to your questions related to the African continental free trade area, I do think it's an opportunity for all of us. Uh, each country has its own opportunities in it. Uh, it's not just a single country. And I think also when we look at the IFCFTA, uh, we look at it considering that you have also other regional blocks uh, we, we belong to. But maybe I would say having a wider market is something very positive. Like Rwanda, we have been the EAC, the East African community, we are being in the COMESA, we are being uh, also belong to other uh, regional blocks. But Rwanda aspires to become a, a middle income country by 2030 and a high income country by 2050. This is in our national strategic transformation strategy. And then when we consider the fact that we are a landlocked country, our growth is also based on a bigger market, on trade connectivity, and on regional value chain, where the market we'll be producing for is the whole continent. We consider not just from the regional perspective, but as well as in the global value chain, as uh, these are key elements to achieve that uh, target we have in our national transformation strategy. 
But as well, we think that belonging to the IFCFTA will increase the competitiveness with our local firms. And uh, each country is to define what uh, it is good at. And for Rwanda, we, we consider like agro-processing is an area we can really progress quite a lot, as well as tech companies, uh, because we have seen that uh, we have some skills there and can have some area for growth. But you also consider that the trade of services is something we can really benefit a lot going through the whole continent as a single market. Uh, I would say that also our country is uh, looking for an economic transformation when it comes to, to removing the tariffs and to open the borders. These market entry restrictions, uh, once they are removed, it uh, allows the local farms to have uh, a gain in the economies of scales. And uh, as we speak now beyond or after, or maybe let's say in the middle of the pandemic, uh, the FCFTA would be like uh, an assistance for us for the e-commerce to be better integrated through intra-African trade. We would consider that uh, belonging to such a, a specific economic block would also facilitate the increase of cross-border where we have seen that there is a lot of potential activities to be done. In brief is what I would say for how we contribute, uh, how FCA contribute to our country's economy. But uh, we are also doing a lot as a country uh, to see how we can really progress in the implementation of the IFCFTA. That's, that's very interesting, Minister. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Uh, and you mentioned a number of areas that are particularly important for you, um, uh, such as tariffs. You also mentioned e-commerce. Um, and um, I think, am I right to um, suggest that the um, that Rwanda has agreed to host the, uh, the headquarters of the AU-backed e-commerce platform? Um, and uh, perhaps maybe what are the expectations uh, around the um, sort of the, 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 the e-commerce uh, discussions uh, at the continent free trade area for Rwanda? I think uh, a lot have aspiration, but uh, especially this pandemic period allows to facilitate how uh, e-commerce is important. Uh, it was, uh, I think, at a very early stage of development. and uh, But we think that with the strength we have, with the young generation, with the openness to new technologies, with the digital integration we are in, Rwanda is taking the lead in some African countries to have the, the progression of the digital, digital integration and uh, having to host the headquarter, we facilitate to have even economies of scale and sharing knowledge. We think that you can even by that way, impress, involve, influence other African countries to embrace digital path. Uh, we think that trade today can't be the classic model we used to have. And uh, the e-commerce is something we want to be reaching the smallest of our traders, the SMEs uh, in the far region and rural regions, being able to do it over the phone, over just a digital device they would have. So by embracing and hosting such an institution, we would like to have a specific role in really embracing that path through Africa. And it's why we collaborate with IFCFTA Secretariat to see how we can have it really shining in also other countries. We have been doing at a smaller scale in the country, seeing a positive response from the population, trying some essays with uh, farmers and with the, with the youth in rural areas. And we are confident that e-commerce 
has a future presented to us, especially when it comes to really sharing the knowledge and facilitating uh, trade. We think that also it will be going at the same time with the digital path and the evolution we are in as a country. Uh, Rwanda has been working a lot on uh, having the IFCFT national strategy developed. And from the specific areas uh, we work on, we believe that the implementation will be uh, more realistic and reaching every interest of the, of, of the, of the population you have, not just in the country, but even in the region. Yes, no, that's that's very important, and it's very important to hear from uh, uh, such a major proponent of the the continental free trade area and such an early backer, um, and also playing a major role, uh, for example, through e-commerce, and also thinking immediately about implementation uh, strategies um, already. I will get back to you in a uh, in the second round around more the, the challenges to do with implementation. Um, let me bring in uh, Frank uh, Mozart at this stage and think a bit about sort of. Where do you see the vision uh, for the, 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 uh, this, this major project, the content of free trade area? How is it going to benefit um, the, um, um, the, the, the Af Africans' aspirations? What, what needs to be done? Uh, well, thanks, thanks so much, Dirk, and, and great to be on the panel. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, um, yeah, I, I think um, first of all, it's worth saying that um, the potential of, of the, the AFCFTA is, is potentially very transformational for Africa. And as the Honorable Minister said, I, I think one of the key benefits for many of our countries is that the size of the potential market is quite large. Um, but not only that, it's diverse, it's large, and it's urbanizing. And markets are growing. Growth in Africa is generally much higher than other parts of the world. And I think, you know, the potential... Uh, for exploiting that market and, and tapping it, um, African firms doing that is, is a very important factor. I think, secondly, you know, with that goes the potential to boost intra-regional and intercontinental trade. And um, I think we all know that trade still, um, you know, regional and, and intercontinental trade is still relatively low in Africa. And the potential for that to grow, I think, is very substantial. With it, also comes the potential for regional value chain development, specialization, job creation, and obviously growing prosperity for citizens. And uh, I think, um, you know, the UNECA uh, estimated that uh, exports, exports uh, to the continent could be boosted by about 45%. So the potential market is very large, and that offers opportunities for specialization. And as I said, if you can bring down some of the trade barriers, the development of regional value chains. So what I think the vision for uh, the Continental Free Trade Agreement is, is to have a, a, a flow of goods around the continent that's easy, fast, uh, efficient, and predictable. And I think that's very important. And with it uh, come strong levels of investment, potential industrialization. And I really agree with, also with the, the minister there. Um, it's not just about big business. Um, it's really about making sure that the agreement works well um, for smaller businesses, particularly also women-owned businesses and small traders across the continent, where, let's face it, a lot of our economies um, have a larger informal element. That's a very important aspect for the trade agreement really to be beneficial to millions of Africans. So I hope that answers it. 
Sure. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Frank. That's uh, that's really important. So I think about sort of uh, uh, more uh, trade, investment, uh, industrialization, but of course uh, benefiting the whole, the full range of uh, of groups uh, and, and and companies. Um, and so I'll be asking later on on the, the challenges behind uh, how to, how to do this. Um, Trudy, um, where do you think uh, uh, lie the, beta, the, the greatest um, sort of benefits from the content of free trader? Which are sort of the areas um, that, uh, where the biggest prices, as it were, uh, in terms of uh, integration? Thanks so much, Dirk, and, and really great to be part of this very interesting and important conversation. I think one of the important areas of benefit from the AFCFTA is in the non-tariff area, improving trade governance. I mean, if we just think about the protocol on trade and goods, there are four annexes that deal with trade facilitation issues, customs, border management, transit, trade facilitation, <clears throat> and of course, eliminating non-tariff barriers. And it's well documented that these non-tariff barriers are far more pernicious barriers to integration, intra-Africa trade, value chain development than the tariff barriers. And this, I think, is an area which is also so important because it has a multiplier effect. If we improve trade governance, we obviously improve our competitiveness and efficiency vis-a-vis -vis our global trade partners. So for me, this is really where we need to be investing in terms of developing very robust and supported um, implementation plans. It's also where a lot of complementary initiatives need to be focused, and some of them already are. We see, for example, that African Bank, out of its usual core business focus area is supporting, for example, quality infrastructure development across the continent. That's absolutely critical because in supporting that governance development, we're really working on developing our capacity to produce goods and services competitively, enhancing our potential to trade, irrespective of whether it's with a neighboring country or in fact with global partners. Linking on to what, what Frank and the Honorable Minister have said as well, I think what we really need to be focusing on, and there is significant potential, and that certainly can be supported by the reduction in non-tariff barriers, is cross-border business linkages or value chains. I think we're starting to see in certain areas, such as the automotive sector, clothing and textile, agribusiness, so many African countries of interests and aspirations to develop those sectors and industries. It's going to be so important that we collaborate. Otherwise, we could end up in a very tough competitive space, undermining some of the potential benefits. So I think this is an area to work on very importantly. And the time is right, because the AFCFTA has generated so much global interest, for example, from investors, traders, and also our development partners. So it comes at a time where there is a dynamism on the continent, youth development, digital transformation. So many important issues are coming together, which make it such a great opportunity, time and space to attract foreign direct investment, but also leverage opportunities to collaborate where possible and to develop a robust, resilient industrial structure across the continent. Because I think this is certainly an area that if we look at the dynamic benefits of the AFC-FDA, 
we're going to have to focus on development of our productive capacity, diversifying productive capacity so that we are, in fact, more resilient when new pandemics and crises, most notably possibly climate crises, come to our shores. Thanks, Dirk. Thanks, Trudy. That's such an upbeat um, sort of assessment of, uh, of, of where the, um, the opportunities lie and also uh, where the sort of the, the current interests lie, the global interest uh, in, uh, in, in Africa's uh, integration. And we highlighted, uh, you've all highlighted a range of issues. You've highlighted um, reduction tariffs. You've highlighted reduction in non-tariff barriers. You highlighted uh, uh, trade facilitation measures are really important. Um, we've discussed e-commerce. You've discussed investment uh, and a range of issues that, that need, to be, need to be addressed. And uh, in order to sort of uh, benefit, um, uh, to bring benefits to, to the continent. And then on top of that, it's not an ordinary agreement. You wanted to also uh, build value chains, regional value chains. You wanted to uh, provide a boost to the uh, production structures, regional production structures uh, as well. So there's quite a lot of, uh, there are quite a few expectations there. Um, and uh, there are quite a lot of provisions that need to be, um, um, need to be negotiated, need to be concluded, um, and also need to be implemented. And so I suppose the next round of questions will then be about implementation. And, uh, and there I would also bring in the Honourable Minister and then, uh, then of course, Dr. Emily Mabura-Doria first as well, um, is, is where do we think um, are the um, sort of the implementation challenges uh, um, and maybe opportunities as well? So that you can discuss that as well, but where, where are the real challenges? And um, uh, how can we ensure that everyone benefits, um, um, that the benefits are really um, filtering through uh, to the real economy? Um, and what is needed? What are you already doing? But what, what is needed? What more is needed to make sure that um, these, um, uh, 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 this agreement is implemented and these provisions are being implemented and that we do get this boost to the regional value chains. So let me first start with the, um, uh, with the Honourable Minister uh, from Rwanda. Um, Minister, over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Dirk. Um, I think if, when it comes to FCFTA, we, we, we can really have a, a long list of opportunities and also challenges. But I just named a few, uh, and uh, as well the panelists will, will, will supplement. Uh, I think the one of the biggest opportunities I see here is that uh, as long as each country defines what they have to sell uh, through the continent, uh, and as long as each country tries to position itself in one or the other steps of the whole value chain, regional value chain or continental value chain, or even global value chain, the country will really be benefiting at, uh, a lot. Uh, as it was Ali said, uh, countries shouldn't look at each other as competitors, but rather to diversify what they are doing and to position each one so that they have a supplement or a complementary uh, of all the steps through the value chains, be it for textile and government, automotive sectors, agribusiness or other uh, economic sectors. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity for each country to really move faster and to grow. But on the other side, uh, the, the, there are a couple of challenges uh, for such a, a big ambition like the IFCFTA. One of them I would mention is, is the speed. The speed uh, from which each country implement the protocols and uh, put in place the annexes and finalize 
the implementation of the agreement. Uh, it's clear that some countries will be faster than others, but I still see that uh, the speed uh, is not similar for all countries and it might be a challenge because uh, it would be hampering somehow the effective growth we are expecting. The second, the second area I would maybe mention is also uh, the investment needed uh, and the technical know-how uh, each country should uh, put or spur into the industrialization process. And this is sometimes allocated, but not, I would say, uh, at an appropriate path or maybe uh, allocated quick enough or fast enough. Uh, and I think it's where we might see some differences, but it doesn't remove the country to really be progressing. Uh, another area maybe I would like to highlight um, is related to uh, a quick uh, a quick opening of the borders, removing all restrictions to, to movement, to people movement, uh, to goods movement. Yes, there is a whole list of NTBs, but on the other side, uh, we need people to really move quickly and freely. As Rwanda, we have been uh, implementing, removing many restrictions to visas so that even Africans can just uh, receive their visas upon arrival at the airport. And we put in place a lot of facilitation so that the movement can really be free. Uh, should we have many countries embracing the same path, people moving, goods moving, I think it's something uh, which is still a challenge, but also a window to open to allow um, the inter-African trade to really grow up. And the last thing maybe I would like to highlight, it's, uh, is the way uh, people are reporting about the opportunities of the IFCFT, like this kind of panel we're talking, uh, we're discussing about uh, so on, uh, such an interesting topic, but the way uh, journalists, uh, academia, civil society, the way they present Africa with the, the opportunities of investment, with the economic transformation it is going through, an opportunity for investors, an opportunity for those who want to, to, to put their capitals in a, in, a, in a growing economy. I think it has a key role. And so far, I would say that there's still a lot to do so that the, the, the way it is presented uh, become fine-tuned and also come supporting this transformation. The continent is true. Thank you. That's uh, that, that's very helpful. So there's a, there's a lot of potential, but also a lot to do for us all. And recognizing that speed of implementation is likely to differ across uh, countries, um, that it's really important to think about complementary measures uh, around industrialization. And that is, there's a clear expectation there that that there's going to be industrialization at the same time as trade liberalization, uh, but that needs to be supported. Um, that, that, that you also highlighted the, um, um, the, 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 the detailed barriers to trade, to, to, to making sure that, that goods flow across borders. Uh, we'll hear much more on that from, from Frank in a, uh, um, uh, in a minute. And I think uh, so a whole range of, um, of, uh, of challenges out there. Um, I'd now like to bring in um, Emily Mabur-Doria. Um, welcome uh, as well. And uh, um, so, um, so you, uh, you, you um, sit, of course, in the, uh, the Continental Free Trade Area Secretariat, um, mm. uh, working uh, full time uh, on the nitty gritty of the implementation of uh, of the agreement, and also the, and and still also the negotiation some of the of the other uh, of some of the issues. So there is a double mm. task there that you're facing. And um, and so we're quite interested to hear 
uh, from you how you're looking at uh, at um, sort of the benefits from this uh, disagreement, but particularly um, where are the challenges? Where do you where do, do you see the challenges are, uh, and um, where do you think support might be uh, might be needed as well? So over to you, um, uh, Emily. Okay, thank you very much, the kind uh, honourable minister. Thank you for joining us uh, today. Uh, mine, I had not wanted to speak in the first round, of course, because of the fact that we, I wanted to hear from uh, uh, the fellow panelists on really what are the issues. And of course, from Honorable Minister, what are really the key issues that a country like Rwanda would want to see us at the Secretariat also working on to ensure that uh, there is full implementation of the uh, AFCFTA agreement. And uh, maybe just to start uh, with the benefits, I know uh, it has been mentioned, but I think, and um, the Honorable Minister has said it, that we really need to um, really take up the opportunity that has been given to us in the liberalization of both uh, trading goods and uh, trading services and ensure as a um, as uh, uh, Trudy has uh, mentioned, that we ensure that we have the removal of um, uh, non-tariff barriers also so as to be able to actually have real benefits and take uh, up the opportunities that, uh, that we have. And of course, uh, we hope that uh, with the full implementation of the agreement, it will mean that there will be now new markets for our different state parties. And I know the statistics are out there that, of course, uh, the AFCFTA now being the largest free trade area since the WTO was formed will mean that, uh, uh, and that, of course, that is in terms of the participating uh, uh, countries that are involved in the AFCFTA. And if we are able then to get all 55, you can imagine how big that uh, the free trade uh, uh, area will be. So I'll not dwell much on that. And of course, as has been mentioned by all the panelists, the issue of increase in terms of investment uh, uh, in the continent. So we will have then an, uh, a situation where we will have the stimulation of production and of course the different uh, regional value chain. Of course, there is a challenge in Africa because most of the countries have not moved uh, yet to have value addition in the products that we have. And so there will be real need to ensure that uh, uh, that we see how to uh, to have all state parties actually benefiting from uh, the value chains that are to be developed. And of course, this will assist uh, with the reduction of uh, transaction costs uh, and, uh, and countries specializing in certain activities and um, also to ensure that we have skills development and in so doing we have uh, uh, labor productivity and ensuring that uh, we have comparative and competitive advantage among uh, countries. I know this is one area where then the work that is being done uh, at uh, uh, Trademark East Africa with the leadership of Frank becomes uh, very important even for us now at the continental uh, uh, level. So 
at the secretariat, of course, our work is to ensure that uh, we support our state parties and with the assistance, of course, of uh, our different partners, like uh, all, uh, um, all the partners that are here with us today, ODI, Mayor uh, Tralak in your different um, uh, capacities. And then, of course, continue with the capacity building that uh, that we have for our for state parties. And in terms of boosting intra-African trade, uh, for those who were with us um, uh, last week in Durban, we had the intra-African uh, trade fair. And so that is just a way of bringing together investors and um, uh, and um, uh, producers to come together and have um, a, a platform to be able to meet and actually uh, have deals uh, that uh, that will enhance trade in Africa. We are informed that uh, uh, $42 billion worth of deals were actually struck during the uh, just ended intra-African uh, trade fair. In addition, we hope uh, to have uh, platforms to conduct, uh, to continue conducting uh, seminars and awareness building, uh, and also to be able to implement the agreement, we are looking at um, inclusion of uh, women and youth. And uh, as the uh, Honorable Minister has said, Rwanda is actually looking at how do they support youth more in, uh, in the implementation of the AFCFTA. And we are happy to assist to ensure that uh, uh, the youth are brought uh, on board. And then moving on, of course, there are quite a number of challenges we are facing even as a secretariat. And um, uh, the Honorable Minister has mentioned one of them, which is the issue of uh, the different level of developments uh, uh, for our different uh, state parties. And um, with this, of course, uh, we have the issue of variable geometry, the principle of variable geometry that we have ingrained um, uh, in the agreement. But as uh, as uh, the AFCFTA, we hope that we can move with all the different uh, countries so that we can help uh, those that are more advanced can be able to help those that are less advanced to pull uh, together uh, to have economies of scale and so have uh, um, uh, everyone benefit from the AFCFTA. Our second challenge is, of course, we have a number of uh, uh, regional economic blocks in, uh, in Africa and uh, how to work with all the regional blocks. As you well know, um, uh, the AU recognizes eight uh, regional blocks, and most of them also do deal with issues related to trade. So we are looking at how do we ensure that um, we bring together all the different um, uh, regional economic communities on the table for us to work together towards um, uh, the development of Africa. Then, as the Honorable Minister has also mentioned, we have a very, very ambitious schedule for uh, trade liberalization and also a regulatory adjustment that will be required. And uh, of course, once we finalize with the uh, tariff reduction, uh, the customs procedures, the liberalization of trading goods, and all the other different uh, areas that we will embark, we are already embarking on. Then there is the issue of domestication that we have to assist um, 
uh, state parties to ensure that they're able to domesticate what we will agree on at the national level. And I'm happy to hear about the uh, different implementation plans that uh, uh, different state parties are already developing. And I'm quite happy to hear from the minister that they have already uh, uh, worked on the Rwandan um, uh, AFCFTA implementation plan, because that's the only way we shall then be able to assist uh, state parties to ensure that uh, the domestication process is uh, uh, is well accomplished. And then uh, also there is the issue of uh, uh, really uh, implementation of the of the uh, face uh, face down for tariffs, and this is um, particularly important because of countries that uh, that have come in as customs uh, union. Uh, and uh, most and some of those countries have both LDCs and developing countries. So how are we actually going to be able to consider the issue of uh, face down? So those are just some um, consideration of the issues that we have at hand. If I move on to talk about uh, under trading services, the issue of coming up with um, uh, regulatory frameworks and uh, also continuing with the uh, with the negotiations that are quite uh, uh, intensive so that also creates a number of challenges uh, uh, even for state parties now what support or guidance uh, would be useful uh, uh, in this uh, case of course, uh, we are still thin on the ground as a secretariat, so there is still issues of boosting um, uh, even the human resource capacity uh, at the secretariat. We, as uh, as you may all know, we've really tried even with the uh, limited um, uh, human resource to do uh, a number of uh, activities uh, even um, uh, this past year. And of course, we will continue with the awareness building on the AFCFTA technical assistance and capacity building, both in trade and investment uh, uh, related issues and even in the new uh, negotiation issues that we have embarked on, digital trade, um, uh, co uh, competition policy, investment, um, uh, 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 which one? Which one haven't I mentioned? Uh, intellectual property rights issues related to women and youth uh, uh, in trade, and also issues related to dispute settlement system and setting up the uh, dispute mechanism at the AFCFTA. Also, we will continue assisting those countries that have not uh, uh, ratified or deposited their instruments of ratification to do so, so that uh, we can be able to strengthen uh, the, uh, the AFCFTA uh, uh, work. Then uh, we will, uh, of course, continue with the statutory uh, meetings because that is the only time we shall be able then to bring what uh, we have finalized to be adopted and accepted by the different state parties and for it then to move uh, uh, to council. So there is a lot of work we are doing at the Secretariat, the validation of the offers that we have been given, both in goods and um, uh, in services, so that we can be able to have them adopted for preliminary or what we call provisional application of the uh, of the offers that we have both in goods and services at the next uh, meeting of um, uh, of uh, the assembly of heads of states and government and then to move on to continue with the work not only in goods and services but also uh, under the new issues i'll stop there so that at least like, we can hear from the rest thank you very much
Well, thank you very much. That is an um, um, extraordinary list of um, of issues to consider, and uh, and I know that um, uh, that the honourable minister needs to leave soon. So I just want to check back back with her on this list, and also a question from the audience that has come in um, before I bring in uh, Frank and Trudy. So, so you mentioned about the different levels of development. How do you deal with that? So that you probably also have that within the East African region as well. Uh, um, uh, there is the uh, how do you deal with the, the region, regional economic communities? Um, the, you need to converge on offers and then uh, discuss that with the content of free trade area. There's a, a quite a, a tight schedule of liberalisation. There's domestication um, that um, uh, of of all the. Uh, the schedules uh, into domestic law that need to take uh, to take place. Um, there are the regulatory frameworks um, that need to be put in place for for services, investment, and so on. Um, and then there's this additional question that came in from the audience just now, and to say, um, uh, honourable minister, is there a plan in place by African leaders to empower entrepreneurs or African business uh, to fully participate and compete in the free trade agreement? Uh, and then uh, the person uh, adds, I don't think that allowing foreign investors to drive the African free trade agreement is a win-win for um, uh, for Africa. So um, in terms of your, the sort of quite a bit of uh, remarks about your implementation strategy that you've already started looking at this, um, there are lots of these challenges out there. And in particular, this last question, uh, is there a clear plan to ensure that the, the, the African business uh, gain from this, the, the local entrepreneurs, uh, uh, benefit the most from this, uh, and um, uh, maybe I know before you need to leave some, but maybe you could you could um, uh, have some some uh, comments on these uh, these challenges. Uh, thank you, thank you, Dirk. Uh, I think that the question is very important because um, for me, I think it it's a it's a combination of what the government is doing and what the local entrepreneurs are doing as well, uh, because it will it will require both of us to work together. And it's where comes the, the way we discuss and we talk about the IFCFT, the way we meet people to understand what is really behind it. There's the whole process. Uh, Emily was talking about with negotiating, with fine-tuning the agreements, with discussing and uh, uh, domesticating the, the, the annexes. But on the other side, uh, I think there is something we've been needing from uh, the entrepreneurs is to be bold because... As we know all, the intra-African trade has a very low rate, meaning that they will have to think in another way. They have to, uh, to, to put in place a vision for the long run, not just looking at their domestic market, but at the regional market. They have to embrace a continental market size. So this is something we need from them. The second I think we need from them as well is to accept to embrace the kind of digital technology we have when it comes to trading is, the, is one of the key elements to be able to trade from here to the north of Africa, to the south of Africa, or to Western Africa. Uh, we will no longer be just classic trading, but they will need to really accept to, be, to have the, the, the literacy for digital uh, devices. They will need to learn about it. They will need to really force themselves. And uh, for that, it will be making as well their business easier but it's a key element we need them to really embrace as a commitment. On the other side, I think for the government, the plan is long. When we, go, we come to a strategy uh, defining how we want it to be implemented, it goes to reach all the SMEs we know we have over the continent. 
it's not just for the big countries to keep growing up, but it's really to have all those small and medium entrepreneurs integrated into the whole movement. And this will start with cross-border trade. For that, I think also um, the government is working on putting in place the appropriate infrastructure, as we said, as well as the investment needed to have those infrastructure in place. Uh, yes, raising awareness, but also going through all the details of the negotiations and the discussions we have when it comes to phase one and phase two of FFC to go deeply and seriously into it so that we have a, a clear picture of where we want the, the country to be positioned. This is something applicable to each country, but as we have the free movement of people and goods, it doesn't rely just on the country, as Africans will be walking around from one country to the other. Uh, the, the other thing I think, uh, which is really important is to, for the governments to put up uh, an attention to the youth and women with their role in trade. We all know that this is key, it's a, a cornerstone in trade, but then with concrete actions to facilitate the integration into the whole um, initiative we are in. I think this is also something very important. Uh, and as well as the way we define industrialization. If we think about the future, we, we know that Africa has a huge potential in the green industrialization process. Yes, some capital, some know-how it might be lacking, but still the whole potential is there. So if countries are defining the industrial policies and strategies, they should look into the future. I think the future of industrialization, the color is green. So for the government, we have to really orient our policies in that focus and then facilitate our entrepreneurs to embrace that path. Uh, those are the key elements I would add. But as, again, I would say that yes, there are challenges, but there are more opportunities than challenges. There are more possibility of growing than coming back. It's just step by step and keeping the path to be able to really deliver. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you for your participation as well. So um, th that's a very good message, of course. So be, be, uh, it needs to be bold. Uh, there are more opportunities uh, than challenges and think about the future, embrace digitalization and green industrialization. Uh, thank you very much. And I'd now, now like to bring in um, uh, Frank. Um, and so, um, I mean, the different types of integration, and we've talked about, um, uh, thank you very much, Honorable Minister, um, uh, with very much the very different types of uh, integration. Um, there is the, the, the narrow type of integration, uh, tariff reduction, but there's also the deeper type of integration. Um, and we know that that brings much greater benefits uh, to two uh, to countries, um, but that needs, um, uh, that needs, um, uh, support to sort of connect uh, 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 countries uh, through uh, border, uh, crossing borders, making sure that goods cross borders very easily. Um, and uh, so you've got a wealth of experience uh, uh, with the program uh, of trade trademark East Africa in doing that. So we'd like to hear a bit more of how you do this um, and uh, what the challenges are and how you can support um, uh, the sort of content of free trade area more widely on the basis of this, this fantastic experience that you've had in East Africa. Well, thanks, Dirk, and, and thanks to the other panelists, and particularly your good self, Emily. Um, well, I, I think, you know, I, I guess um, our experience is trying to think about trade really along uh, the key trade arteries in Africa that link countries together, known as the kind of trade corridors. And uh, I think 
you know, what we need to be thinking about is how we can ease the flow of goods from ports to the different capitals, points of destination and markets in, in, a, in a kind of seamless way. And what it, really, what it really requires is not thinking so much just about an individual country, but really around the kind of thread that connects them, the roads, the railways, uh, the waterways. Uh, so that's really important. And I think what we've learned is if you think about that whole chain along a corridor, you can look at um, different parts of the corridor that often are a challenge. And uh, I think, you know, for us, what we've learned is you, the ports are often a big source of inefficiency. I'm here in Mombasa uh, and uh, I was just going around the port today again. I've been here, coming here for like 12 years and seen the transformation. Here at Mombasa, it used to take 12 and a half days to get the goods through the port. Today, I heard from the management, three and a half days. That's that's pretty amazing progress. And really, that's all about port reform, trying to get the efficiency and productivity of the port assets working well, getting the goods out of ports quickly. So it's a combination between systems and infrastructure. And infrastructure sometimes can be a major challenge. And literally today, we were just looking at some of the roads that have cut waiting times from six hours to now half an hour. So that physical infrastructure investment, particularly at the ports that are key bottlenecks, um, is really important. I think secondly, as you're journeying along from the port and you're going to the next country, you often find that the borders are really a problem. And I think what we've learned is that one has to think about the long-term flow of goods through borders, uh, manage the infrastructure so that volume pickup can really um, obviously speed efficiency. So the kind of measures we'll be looking at is how much time it gets to come through a border. I'm really delighted to say, I think we worked now on 15 borders, remodeling the infrastructure and putting in digital systems that link up with the capitals. And I'll come back to that in a minute. That's reduced the time through borders by 70%. And just simplifying things, allowing small traders, particularly women traders, just to pass um, through borders, unfettered, unhassled, um, basically if they're below the de minimis. And that's been very effective. We've seen small trader incomes double at a lot of the borders that we worked with. And a lot of those women were really harassed um, by the authorities, but now the authorities recognize they're really component, uh, important component of trade. I remember coming, taking some of the small traders to the WTO where they've told their stories and uh, they're very powerful stories indeed. I think, um, with all that, um, you know, you can have that experience of kind of looking at the physical infrastructure and the corridors, but then you need the policy wrappers along those corridors to work well. So that's harmonized customs processes. It's investing in modern custom systems, cargo tracking, and then digitizing all the different trade processes. I mean, we've digitized altogether about 150 different trade agencies here in East Africa. And it really makes a big difference. I mean, the Honorable Minister's gone, but in Rwanda, bringing that all together on a single window platform has reduced the clearance times in Rwanda from 11 days, I think, to about 10 hours now. So these things really do help, and it helps predictability if you know where your cargo is going. And um, then I'd also say, I mean, we talked about non-tariff barriers earlier. We need to get behind mechanisms that can identify them and remove them. Often they're technical barriers to trades, maybe SBS issues as well, but sometimes simple things like roadblocks, monitoring those and monitoring the corridor performance. 
We found that this has reduced the costs of trade massively. The time in East Africa to bring down, uh, to, to move goods across the corridors has fallen by about 35%. Um, the costs have, and the time has collapsed even further. And I think what I often find um, going to other parts of Africa, I went to West Africa recently, is that governments need to be shown that it can be done. It's not difficult if the political will is there. And I think that is a really important point. And the other thing we really learned about East Africa is that if you open up trade, you open up borders, you make it more seamless, you get more investment. And what we've seen is the fear of revenue loss by many countries. You know, they fear that if they open up, revenue is going to fall. We've actually seen massive revenue pickups because of the pickup in the trade volumes. So I think that, that's some of the experience we've had. Um, and I, I think the other thing I just wanted to say was really about um, COVID. We live in difficult times with the pandemic. And I think we worked with a lot of our governments, the health agencies, the, the port health authorities, the ministries of health, and really tried to figure out ways to keep the borders open, keep trade going so jobs could be sustained. Otherwise, we were seeing massive falls in, in uh, you know, massive increases in joblessness. So that's been really important as well, because we live in a slightly changed world, world now with many more medical protocols. So we need to also be thinking hard about how we can harness the power of technology. We worked with the East African community to develop here a truck driver tracking app that also has a, like a medical passport on it that can allow much more free movement of goods. So I think that's an important issue. So those are some of the things that we've learned. I mean, it's a lot more that you can say, and I think Emily talked about export diversification because many of our exports are quite co-varied. That's really important. And in a way, we need to start thinking much more about regional value chains, maybe putting in the back pocket our national industrialization strategies to think much more of a continental industrialization strategy. And the final thing I'd say is a lot of our export businesses actually do face quite big constraints in getting access to finance. We haven't talked much about trade finance, but for a you know, uh, a nascent sector on the on the continent, uh, cotton, textile, and garments, you often have a problem that businesses get lots of orders, but then it's a long time before they get paid. So that kind of receivables finance uh, or even pre-shipment finance, um, I know that 40% of SMEs on the continent get rejected for that kind of finance, and it's a major constraint. So when we think just not, not just about diversification of value chains, we've also got to think about really increasing the flow of finance to help those businesses blossom. So let me stop there, Dirk. I, I'm sure I could go on a bit longer, but I hope that shared some of the experience. Um, that's incredibly useful, Frank, uh, to share those experiences and also yeah, to to understand a bit of what it is that you're, you're doing, but also how it interacts with the, the sort of the, the, the trade negotiations, implementation uh, issues as well. Um, and so both the physical side of infrastructure, but also the regulatory sides. And um, and that's that's very interesting. And also uh, sort of the results as well that you mentioned, sort of in Rwanda, that clearance time had been reduced from 11 days to 10 hours, for example, doing that. And uh, and, that, and that has cost, cut the cost of trade in East Africa by 35%. I mean, that is, that is extremely valuable. And that, that can help sort of the re regional value chains uh, development, um, which is sort of... A useful and important uh, complement of uh, of the trade liberalisation uh, liberalisation part. Um, so that's that's really um, really important, interesting. Truly, um, maybe I can also um, 
come to you. So you, you're part, uh, uh, a lot of provide also trainings and um, uh, provide a lot of uh, uh, information around uh, trade law uh, uh, in particular. And there, um, and some of the issues are uh, to do uh, in, in the context of failure are to do with tariffs uh, and so on, but others are about rules and regulations, and they are uh, they are very different types. So, so what are the, the issues there? What are the implementation challenges um, uh, that, that 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 you foresee, um, and uh, sort of how can can uh, how can this be uh, supported in the uh, in the years ahead? Thanks so much, Dirk, and really interesting to listen to Frank and to Emily and, and to the Honourable Minister about the non-tariff agenda, where rules and regulations actually do play a very important role. But I want to go back to, to Emily's reality check, and that really brings home the fact that we are a little bit stuck in the negotiations, so to speak with foundational elements for free trade area tariffs and rules of origin. And I think that situation that we have at the moment, moment we can call it a Gordian knot, if you will, really exemplifies some of the concerns that many countries have about opening their economies. I think that they've realized over, over the last number of years the importance of, for example, trade facilitation, many have and are embracing digitization and so on. And there is a lot of policy, legal, institutional development happening at national levels that we can support and harness in terms of giving effect to some of the new instruments that we are still to be negotiating. The protocol on e-commerce or digital trade, for example. But I do want to come back to the fact that until we have a tariff dispensation with associated rules of origin, we technically cannot trade under the AFCFDA. So this is an absolutely urgent issue for us to try to move those negotiations ahead. As Emily has indicated, we may well see a kind of variable geometry where a coalition of the willing, those state parties that, that are comfortable to make the necessary tariff concessions and agree on rules of origin can actually move ahead while others catch up. I think that's a reality that we live with. Integrating unequal partners is really, really difficult. Supporting those countries that do move ahead, of course, to implement changes to the tariff book, to the rules of origin, and really to get the private sector behind these, these progress areas to have a demonstration effect is going to be extremely important. But coming back to your question about the rules, the regulations, in a sense, the governance development agenda, I think this is absolutely critical. What we really need to do is to be looking at for example, in the trade and services agenda, services we know are regulatory intensive, and we do find significant differences across countries when we take a look at even the five priority services sectors. But of course, there are many, many other services sectors that are equally important, distribution services, healthcare, education, that we've seen become even more important as a result of the pandemic. 
So there's a lot of scope for assistance at the national level with policy regulatory reform, moving towards cooperation and eventually, hopefully, harmonization. Because I think some of the issues that Frank has touched on relate directly to the need to harmonize regulation. If we take a look at transport services, absolutely necessary to develop infrastructure. It's necessary, but not sufficient. And the differences in the unharmonized regulations from one jurisdiction to another are in fact non-tariff barriers of a sort when it comes to access to those transport services, whether it be road, rail, maritime, whatever it might be. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done there to do the analysis, to take a look at what the impact would be of those kind of regulatory reform initiatives and how we can move towards eventually harmonizing those regulations across the continent. I think also when we take a look at trade and services, and, and again, it comes back to taking a look at what we need to do in somehow the, the digital related um, services sectors and modes of supply. So if we really focus on, on what needs to be done, for example, to promote cross-border trade, mode one, for example, um, a lot has to be done related to the protection of data, consumer protection, data localization. There's a whole agenda around data governance, which is particularly important. For services, of course, mode three, that's investment. And, and mode three behaves like investment. So looking at the issues which are particularly important in the investment facilitation agenda, that looks at regulations, domestic regulations that actually manifest as red tape. How do we get rid of those? How do we harmonize those so that we are promoting cross-border investment? And not only the large scale investments that hit the headlines, but let's not forget about the small scale cross-border investments in the services sectors. Women are often involved in those. The youth are involved in those. We need to be facilitating those sectors of the business community as well. And that brings us very much to the role of the private sector. And this varies considerably across the continent. In some countries, the private sector is actively engaged and really leads the development of negotiating strategies. In other countries, unfortunately, that's not the case, but the private sector understands the policy, regulatory, and institutional barriers better than anybody else. So having them involved in the processes, not only of developing negotiating strategies, but also in that domestic policy, regulatory, and institutional reform processes is more important than ever. This is also where sector regulators become really important for us to, to bring on board in terms of this bigger enterprise of moving the regulatory reform and development agenda ahead. Sector regulators understand the sector dynamics much more than our trade and services experts necessarily. They really understand the nature of competition, the nature of engagement, barriers to entry, market access issues. And they have to work with the trade negotiating team to really unlock the opportunities in our services sectors. And I really think the foundational 
contribution that trade and services liberalization across the continent can bring to improving competitiveness in agriculture and manufacturing, reducing transport trade costs, the broader collection of, of business-related costs that are associated with a range of services that are inputs into all economic activity can be significant to boosting the potential for the African continental free trade area. I do want to come back just to, to a point about the global interest in the AFCFDA. And I think one should look at this very, very carefully. Of course, growing markets, markets with potential, are going to attract investors from the continent, but also globally. But to harness that investment so that it contributes to development outcomes is particularly important. And this is where the terms and conditions on which we accept that investment, and if it's global, of course, it won't be governed by the protocol on investment in the AFCFDA, but by other legal instruments, that's going to be extremely important. But improving investment governance, investment facilitation, will be good not only for intra-Africa investment, but also for global investment wanting to take up opportunities and with appropriate regulation and policy can contribute significantly to the development outcomes we need on the continent. Thanks, Dirk. Well, actually, that's that's a, some very excellent uh, remarks there, uh, Trudy. Uh, also, the, at the end, is that a sort of a transforming, growing Africa um, is is of great interest to for the world as a whole, of course, uh, and sort of to foster uh, um, a more a, a deeper trade and investment linkages um, uh, as well. And uh, I was just looking at um, the, um, the speech from uh, Xi Jinping uh, yesterday. Um, there are lots of other uh, countries outside, but of course. Um, the, the foundation is a strong Africa, a strong integrating Africa, and if it's strong internally, it can also um, engage more strongly uh, externally as well. Um, where, where you also put a, hi a highlight on this um, is services, and I think that's also been actually quite a dynamic area as well of uh, um, uh, uh, of the continent. I was looking at the statistics uh, actually only today, and uh, um, so that prior to Corona, the Corona crisis, um, that, that exports of services from Africa um, were increasing, uh, were doubling between 2005 and 2019, from about 60 uh, something billion to 120 billion dollars. Uh, and there's lots of interesting uh, things going on, actually, um, and things that we don't uh, we don't measure, uh, and sort of bringing together the um, the, uh, the issue of, of what are the implementation challenges uh, and opportunities. So. Um, uh, of course, there's still the negotiations uh, to uh, to be uh, finalised, uh, including for phase one. Sort of 10% of the tariff lines still need to have rules of origin, but there's progress, and there's progress being made, and uh, um, there may be still be some 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 challenges there, but there's progress, uh, um, and uh, and that's that's really good. And then the two other types of challenges that we collectively have discussed. Uh, is sort of the, the direct domestication, so of services regulation, for example, or investment regulation, um, or even uh, trade provisions around tariffs. You need to sort of tell the, your customs to actually uh, do 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 the, make the changes, um, and those are sort of implementation challenges. And then the complementary policies that need to be put in place, the um, the border, uh, the cross border approaches that that Frank has been discussing. So a whole range of of, of challenges that are there. Um, 
let's uh, we've got about 10 minutes uh, for this meeting uh, to end and um um, we also want to bring in uh, some further questions from the audience, and uh, um, I'm seeing two uh, two types of questions. So I'll read them out, and uh, and we'll first ask um, uh, Dr. Mubul Doria to uh, uh, to answer some of those questions, um, and then also uh, Frank and Trudy to um, uh, to 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 add their um, uh, their voice. Um, so there's one question around um, uh, sort of the phase one and phase two issues. Um, uh, uh, and and I think we've highlighted them also in this meeting. Um, so it says phase one uh, of the content of trade area around goods, trading goods, trading services uh, are uh, um, are sort of uh, on the implementation. While well, there are still some areas that need to be looked at, but um, um, and the benefits seem to be uh, understood. Uh, of course, need to be still realised. Um, can you tell us, and of course, as director of uh, of the for the important for many of the phase two issues, why why do we um, uh, need to think about phase two issues, um, and uh, uh, so how important is that um, uh, is that for the um, uh, for the continent? Uh, and I think it's an important discussion that that perhaps on the trade uh, economists we have often have and say um, uh, narrow integration um, is easier to get. Um, but it's uh, but it doesn't bring those huge benefits. Uh, it can lead to sometimes more trade diversion, trade creation, no welfare benefits. But if you have go for a deeper integration, uh, then the, then the price is bigger. But at the same time, uh, it may be more difficult to 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 reach and all the challenges that you get there. So so maybe you can enlighten us a bit on that, um, uh, Emily. And the uh, and also there's a question about variable geom geometry. Um, so I think there was a, uh, your number one issue was level of development uh, that you highlighted, and uh, and so how does this play out? So there are the, uh, there are the bigger countries, um, um, and in the past we've had some um, some countries um, uh, uh, sort of dominating whole regions um, uh, and making regions perhaps unstable uh, in the in the very past. Uh, now, of course, we're more interested in sort of an inclusive. Uh, uh, integration process. How are you going to ensure that this is uh, inclusive uh, um, of all parties, um, so that um, uh, perhaps the, you, you can address the variable geometry? So over to you, uh, uh, Emily, for your your final uh, remarks. Um, so you can take a few minutes uh, if you like, and uh, and then Frank and Trudy for your your final comments as well before I close. Over to you, Emily. Okay, thank you very much and thank you for reminding us of the time. Some of us should be actually have had dinner by now. <laughs> so that's the interesting one. Anyway, um, I think, uh, let me start with the variable geometry question. And most of them I know Trudy has actually handled. But I'll just say, really, when we talk about variable geometry, we are talking about condition of the wheeling. What is your interest in joining the AFCFTA and actually implementing the AFCFTA? So some countries may look at it politically and say, politically, I would want to join the AFCFTA. But we are saying it should also be for economic issues. It should be important to you to be able to implement. And that is where the ratification issues also come in and the domestication issues so what we talk when we talk about variable uh, variable geometry we are saying 
we don't need to wait for everyone to be on board for us to start trading under the AFCFTA. Whoever is interested enough and is ready to start trading, then we'll start trading. And uh, maybe here I can mention that we have about 41 offers trade that is in trading goods. But when the verification is done, it's only about 27 countries that are meeting the requirements of the modalities that were developed for uh, 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 for early start when it comes to trading goods. Now, in the case of trading services, we have just developed the methodology for verifying the offers. And the whole essence of it is that we have to ensure that we have substantial liberalization more than what uh, those uh, members that are members of the WTO have done. And so with the trading services elements also, those that will be ready to start trading will then start trading under the trading services protocol. So we are just saying with variable geometry, we are not going to be waiting for everyone to be on board for us to take off it is whoever is ready to take off and takes off. We had the start of trading that was launched on the 1st of January uh, this year. And uh, Ghana and South Africa uh, took upon themselves to already start trading under the AFCFTA. It is still challenging. We have finalized the customs um, uh, procedures and documents that are necessary. And we have so far 87.3% of the rules of origin already concluded. So with that, whoever is ready can actually be able to already start. So that is what we mean with the variable geometry component. Now, why phase two issues? Of course, phase two issues are very key in trying to ensure that there is efficiency in even what we do in the liberalized trading goods and services. So with phase two issues, we are looking at the inclusivity of women and youth in trade. So once we are able to have that protocol, which will ensure that women and youth also, and of course the SMEs, which are most by women and youth. Then will in policy, I will leave it to Trudy because that's among her babies. Okay, let me leave for the rest to actually be able to finalize with the others. But thank you very much and thank you for this meeting. Thank you. Thank you very much, Emily. Sorry, I, I dropped a bit because you were, you were breaking up a little bit. But thanks. I think we got the, the, the most of it, and in particular the beginning, which was extremely helpful. And also, thank you very much for your for your participation. It's been extremely important. Uh, Frank and Trudy, um, uh, Frank first, perhaps uh, for your um, for your final minute um, uh, uh, concluding remark. Over to you. Yeah. No. Um. I think the phase two is really important to deepen. Um, and, and I really uh, agree with what you said there, Emily, and what Trudy said earlier. If we're really going to be serious about seeing the benefits and the inclusivity across the continent, we need to do this. And so I, I have no doubt that that is incredibly important for the future of our continent and, uh, you know, for the jobs that we want to create. So, you know, I, I just say that simply. I, I guess, you know, maybe my concluding remark is let's make sure that we can allow the CFTA agreement to really be used to its utmost. And we really need to break down those trade barriers across the continent to help that happen. I often hear, you know, I, I was traveling around Africa and I do that quite a lot these days. Um, just uh, there's there's a lot of lack of confidence that it can be done. And I, and I think it can be done 
the will is there. Um, and, you know, I think more that we can share peer learning across the continent, show people how success looks, that it's within people's grasp, I think is really important. So this point about being, you know, breaking down those trade barriers so that we can really um, allow the CFTA to give the transformational, um, you know, impetus to the continent. I think it's a, it's a really, really important opportunity. So let's take it and move forward. And, and uh, you know, I also think that as we show more success, so also the political momentum will grow and also the speed of implementation will improve. So we've got a big job to do. It's exciting and it's very much within our grasp. So I'd sort of end on that positive note. That's extremely positive note. Thank you, Frank. Trudy. Thanks so much, Dirk. And I really would like to emphasize the matter of access to information. I think experience of all of us is that we are being asked for the basic, basic information about the AFCFDA. And without access to information, we should not even expect to see particularly smaller scale traders to take advantage of the AFCFDA. So we've got to break down exactly what is in the agreement, publish the information in accessible format, putting it on a website is simply not good enough. It really has to come to the communities where the traders are. I think that's extremely important. The other thing I want to emphasize, and it's not so much a phase two, but a phase one issue, is that we should work on implementing, in particular, I'm referring now to, to the annexes for trade and goods, let's start working on the implementation. There's nothing that prevents us from doing that right now. So while we're really working to get those final tariff concessions and the rules of origin negotiated, take a look at mutual recognition of authorized economic operator programs, the kind of programs that Frank has been talking about, customs, border management, cooperation, port management, cooperation. Very often this word management when it comes to infrastructure seems to be missing. And I think it plays such an important role in terms of facilitating access to the services that the infrastructure has to deliver. But I do want to end on the note with a protocol on women and youth. I think this is absolutely critical. It's an opportunity that we have not had before in any one of our regional economic communities. At this stage, and let's focus on women, there are scant references to women. Aspirational references, which are really important, and of course in the protocol on trade and services, a more detailed reference about supporting women services suppliers. That's simply not good enough. So the protocol on women and youth really provides an opportunity for us to mainstream gender and youth throughout the agreement. Let's pick up on the commitments through the annexes in, for example, the protocol on trade and goods and give effect to those with binding commitments that can support women and youth in that protocol. This would be a game changer for the continent, not only for women and youth. Thanks, Dirk. Thanks, Trudy, for those uh, excellent remarks and very uplifting remarks and important um, uh, reminders of, uh, of what's at stake. Um, we've talked about a vision um, behind the continental free trade area, and uh, we, we agree that this is so important to include phase one, phase two issues, including 
uh, protocol on women and, uh, and youth. Um, and so we need to really uh, um, sort of envision this, uh, this, this new future. And it's, it's looking different, uh, uh, but it's looking good. Uh, of course, there are implementation challenges, and we've started thinking about those. We started sort of categorizing them, thinking about what what, what they are, uh, where they come, when they come. Um, but we need to have more confidence that we can we can address them, and we can also be emboldened by the practices and the experiences that we've seen already so far, including uh, what Frank has been mentioning. Is is that we have addressed challenges in the past? We have shared experiences uh, and and shared lessons perhaps in in, in short in smaller uh, parts um, uh, or smaller areas uh, but we can now actually um, uh, uh, begin to uh, to address some of the challenges um, and uh, that includes um, uh, sharing information uh, and um, and sort of highlighting again the important role for Tralac in this uh, uh, highlighting the important approaches, the corridor approach that the Trademark East Africa are doing. Um, and uh, most pleased to say that we are uh, the ODI also playing a, um, a role uh, in this through uh, through the support that we, we receive from the UK FCDO, also to, to help support uh, the process um, in, in, the, in the future and building on our, our work um, uh, with African institutions uh, uh, recently. Um, and so we're very pleased that uh, with the meeting, I want to thank all the participants, um, so the presenters. So Frank, of course, uh, uh, thank you very much, and Trudy, thank you very much, and Emily, uh, uh, also very uh, thanks very much, and, and the uh, the trade minister for, uh, for discussion, also the audience for uh, for um, for still being with us, even though it's been an uh, uh, an online event, not a, um, a, um, a, a, a an event in in Geneva itself. Um, but we think it was extremely worthwhile to hold these meetings, nonetheless. Uh, it, the recording will be online uh, very soon as well. Um, and I think collectively, uh, we're very interested to sort of see how this, um, this, this, uh, this agreement is uh, being negotiated at final stages and implemented, uh, and how we can further support the process as well. So thank you very much for your attendance. Thank you very much for your presentations. And uh, have a good evening. And I hope you're going to enjoy your, your dinner um, um, uh, wherever you are. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Good night.